this episode, I talk with Andrea Subasati, executive editor of Rumorg Magazine and co-host of the Faculty of Horror podcast. How's everything going your way? Uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know if, if you're hearing the Canadian news down where you are. I don't know where you are. Where are you? I'm uh, down in South Carolina. South Carolina. Well, Ontario, Canada is apparently the uh, worst COVID hotspot in North America right now, is oh, wow. uh, I think the last thing I heard. Uh, cases are surging. We're on lockdown number three. We have been for um, for a couple of days now. And just yesterday, my partner rolled his ankle at work. And so this morning I had to take him to the emergency room, which is like overflowing with COVID cases. Oh. Um so yeah, it's been a bit of a weekend. It's, uh, nice. I think uh, I think we're going to be doing a lot of couch surfing for a little while, but um, but I've gotten pretty good at that. Lots of practice uh, <laughs> over the last year. I'm I'm a pro. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. That's horrible. And yeah, we're we're open wide down here in South Carolina because they're kind of a bunch of idiots. So there's people walking around with no mask on and all kinds of stupid shit, and it's pretty bad. So is it that like there are no regulations and some people are walking around freely and other people are like masking and staying home? Yeah. So, well, most of us are all back at work now unless you're working from home. But um, most stores and all require you to wear a mask, but it's not like legal anymore down here. So you cannot mm-hmm. wear a mask and still walk into a store, which I think is stupid. Wow. Yeah. And anywhere I go, yeah. I still have a mask on and stuff because, you know, I got brains. <laughs> Well, your brains are protecting others, and when they don't do the same, it's just so frustrating. It's just so demoralizing. It is, and if they would just, like, comply for a little bit, we could get out of this shit, but, you know, people want to be stupid with things. It's a dark time for humanity, but you're here. I'm here. We're healthy. Yes. (laughs) That's a good thing. And horror movies are coming out, finally, again. Yeah, finally, yeah. What are you most excited for coming out? Oh, a bunch of things. I'm excited for Candyman. I'm excited for Dune. I don't know if that's still going to come out this year. Um, I'm excited for, I heard that there was a Japanese remake of Vincenzo Natale's Cube that's going to come out this fall. I'm really excited for that. I'm going to start digging into it for the fall issue of the magazine. Um, What else? There's a Chucky TV series coming out. Yeah, that looks Um, cool. (laughs) Neil Blomkamp has a new movie coming out, and I don't know if he's made anything since Session 9, but I really, not Session 9, what was it? What was um, the movie he made? District 9. Yeah, District 9. I did hear something about a new movie from him, yeah. Yeah, I really He did Chappie, didn't he? Didn't he do Chappie? I didn't see that one either. Should I watch it? Uh, not really. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's got um that like rap group from uh, South Africa in there, um, Die Antwood, I believe. Oh, okay. They're interesting. Yeah. They're yeah, interesting very, yeah. to look at. It's just them like doing their thing in the movie, and it kind of ruins it for me because it's them being them, and yeah. like you can't really get into that. I, it's not my thing. I'm like, ah, it's not you your know, thing. Wanted to like it, but you know, that's fair. I'm looking forward to Spiral. I think that's gonna be pretty cool. Oh yeah. Well, I guess you can you can go out and see that where you are. I, I, didn't, I didn't know it was even playing yet because um, oh, we're still right. limited our movie theaters. What's that? Uh, I, I'm not actually sure if it's out yet, but I did hear that it was only coming out in theaters. So. Mhm. 
Yeah, that'd be a good one to go see because, I mean, I, I do like the Saw franchise, like pretty much movies one, two, three, my favorites out the whole thing. But this one does look pretty interesting. It kind of looks like it's going back to like maybe the first film with that like really dark look to it and, you know, dark theme. Yeah, hopefully. I always thought that that um, those first couple of movies were a bit smarter than they kind of got credit for. You know, everyone just kind of glosses over torture porn and it's just, you know, uh, uh, a showcase of terrible traps. But I feel like there was like a weird conservative morality tale in those first few movies. And I thought that was interesting, but the franchise didn't really lean into it enough. No, they kind of went off the rails a bit, like after like four and stuff and. There are still, I guess, okay watches, but nothing I really like, you know, look, go look, looking for or whatever, you know. Just the first three are always going to be the best for me out of that franchise. Yeah. I just got done watching a film today I didn't know existed. I was like, oh, a werewolf film. It was called uh, Blood Moon. Have you heard of that? I have heard of it. I haven't seen it, though. How'd you like it? Um, it was okay. Um, a little bit. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting you, Brandon, but you just oh, cut out. Spoil too much for. Okay. <laughs> Did I cut Your internet out? cut out, and uh, yeah, so you didn't spoil a thing. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, gotta love this old internet over here. It sucks. <laughs> but thumbs up or thumbs down? Well, I would give it a thumbs like halfway down. I give it a seven okay. out of ten. Yeah. All right. Okay. It's one of the um, Blumhouse Into the Darkness um, uh, movies I have on Hulu. Ah, yes. So. A little bit hit and miss for me on those. Yeah, there's um, there is a good where well, I haven't seen it, but one of my writers saw it and he pitched it to me for coverage for the next issue. It's a it's a movie based on a video game called Werewolves Within. I don't know. I never played the game. I don't know much about it, but it's a, it's a horror comedy, okay. and he really enjoyed it. Okay, that's good to know because uh, I'm lacking in the werewolf films as of late, but supposedly there's a resurgence coming back in it, so that's cool, I guess. Oh, is that right? That's what I'm hearing, yeah. <laughs> I mean, werewolves are tricky, right? Werewolf movies, I feel like they really live or die by their transformation scene, and like, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to upstage fucking American Werewolf in London, and, yeah. you know, like... That's the holy grail for me is American Werewolf in London. American Werewolf in London. And then was it, is it Fright Night that there's like a really good, it's not a werewolf, but like there's a transformation that's, uh, is it Fright Night? Or Evil Ed turns into a ghoul? I, know, I believe I it's like a werewolf type creature. And it's the dude that plays the uncle from uh, Napoleon Dynamite, I believe. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, sure. you're yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that's a interesting uh like taking that role there and playing in Napoleon as his uncle. I mean that's yeah, a hell of a character change there, but <laughs> Rico, a role yeah, of a lifetime. Rico. I just rewatched that recently too. I was like on Amazon or something. I haven't seen Napoleon Dynamite in years. I was like, wow, it still holds up for what it is, you know. Does it? Yeah. I think it was on Amazon or maybe it was actually I think it was Disney Plus. Um mm-hmm. There is an animated series of Napoleon Dynamite. No, it's pretty early, but. Um, let me think. Well, the Faculty of Horror is just about to record an episode on possession. So I watched that last weekend and it uh, it just wrecked my weekend. <laughs> Straight uh-huh. up. Like, 
I watched that and I was just kind of like, wow. And uh, I was home alone at the night and I just, I remember just like scrolling through all the TV services and streaming services, just looking for something to take the taste out of my mouth, but nothing like, <laughs> nothing appealed. I was like, I just need to sit with this film and digest it in pain for a bit. Uh, but the next night I watched um, Godzilla versus Kong, which, you yeah. know, a perfect palate cleanser, such like yeah. it's, it's it's bubble gum for the brain, um, which is exactly what I needed from it. I enjoyed it. Did you see that one yet? Yeah, I enjoyed it, too. And like you said, it is kind of like bubble gum for the brain. You don't have to sit and really think about shit and just let it do its thing. You know, you got Godzilla versus Kong, you know, I thought it was fun. It you know? promised on it delivered everything it promised. <laughs> mm hmm. And it was cool seeing um, Adam Wingard do, like, a big-ass movie like that because, like, he's known for, like, The Guest, which is my favorite film from him. And seeing him do the complete opposite was pretty cool. I agree. I felt like you could kind of feel his um, his horror influence in there. Yeah, the, the level of gore every so often would come up, and I'd be like, oh, there's Wingard. He's doing mm -hmm. it. And the neon lights, too, is, like, a signature of his, I notice. Right. Neon's in there, yeah. I wonder if he's going to make another Death Note movie. Um, he was on a, I think he was on Mick Garris's podcast recently. He didn't mention anything about that. He's, he got a lot of hate for that movie from the fan base of uh, Death Note. So yeah, I don't know why. I think you know, I think when you're making a movie that's based on a beloved international property, you really have to kind of go your own way with it. Otherwise, it's just the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand why the fans would prefer a carbon copy of the Death Note that they've already watched to death. Like, what's the point? Yeah, I thought he did a good job. Um, that's a, that was a big franchise to take on, you know, and I think he did fine with it, you know. I agree. Yeah. Uh, what else did I see that I liked? I, I saw the new uh, Ben Wheatley has a new movie called In the Earth, and I spoke to him about it for the new issue of Room Morgue. And what was cool about that one was that he came up with it. Like he sat down, wrote it, developed it, shot it and put it out all under COVID-19. And the film takes place within COVID-19. Like at the beginning, you can see they're hand sanitizing, they're wearing the masks. They're referring to the pandemic. They're treating it like it's normal, which isn't something that I've really seen on mm -hmm. TV yet. I haven't really seen it treated that way. And when we were talking about it in the interview, he's like, you know, so many movies are just going back to normal and pretending like it never happened. But the fact is that this is going to leave a big stamp on our lives, on our psyches, on our relationships, on, you know, on uh, the, the medical system and all that. So I thought that was a really interesting perspective. Yeah, I have to keep an eye out for that one. I think I've heard you talk about it before, maybe on maybe it was faculty or not. But um, I've heard multiple people say that's a pretty cool movie, so it's definitely on my list to watch. Mm -hmm. It's worth checking out. Um, let me see what else. What are we even in? It, it's April now. Surely yeah. I've seen. Surely I've seen some other new stuff. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I measured time by issues of Remorg, and sometimes <laughs> it gets confusing because I have to work so far ahead. Like I'm working on the July August issue of the magazine now, and it's not even May. Wow. So yeah, I'm kind of uh, kind of in a time warp. Um, but from what I understand, I don't know if this is widely announced yet, but uh, George Romero has um, a film that he hadn't finished um, is is coming out on Shutter. Mm -hmm. 
So that's oh, pretty exciting. It's going to feel like a new Romero film. What's the name of it? Um, shit. The Amusement Park. Okay, cool. I mean, that sounds awesome. I had no idea about that. Oh, yeah. It, it, like I said, it uh, it might be a big secret and I might be in a lot of trouble. So maybe we'll uh, chat about when this episode is coming out and I'll uh, I'll confirm the embargo. But uh, I am planning some coverage for the magazine because that is exciting. Yeah, that's going to be bad, uh, something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lot to look forward to. I'm looking forward to seeing my parents, which I haven't said out loud in a very long time. Oh, wow. How long has it been since your parents? Uh, I guess it's about two years now. Wow. Yeah, they they live about like five hours away. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky that they're taking all this very seriously and they're um, they're staying home and they're staying safe and they're not pressuring me to come visit if I don't feel comfortable with it. Like that's right. that's kind of something that I've seen other um, friends of mine having to deal with is their parents not taking it seriously and guilting them into visiting. And mm. I'm glad not to be in that boat. Yeah, I'm on the same boat with you on that. My parents don't guilt trip me. Like, you know, if you don't feel comfortable coming by, that's cool. You know, you know, until you feel comfortable doing it, don't worry about it, you know. Yeah, be safe is all. I'm working uh, full time now, but when COVID first hit, they had us working like one one or two, um, one or two times a week. And it was like a permanent vacation for like months until, you know, we kind of got back to normal. Then they decided to open things back up here. So now back to the full time. and it's just crazy. It's an adjustment, isn't it? I find I get so tired so fast. I get so like, I forget how to speak to people. Yeah, we're getting ready for the uh, PGA to come through our oh area. So, right, working all this fucking crazy. We're working from, uh, I get, I punch in at 6.30. I punch out at 4.30. Wow. So, and we're not forever. Then when the PGA actually gets to the island, we're going to be working, like punching at 3.30 in the morning. Probably work until like five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so, Sheepers. Yeah. You gotta love the PGA. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate golf. I don't like, um, I don't watch any sports, but golf especially I don't like. So, so man, I don't give a shit about this. <laughs> it's not a very exciting one, that's for sure. No, I mean, chase a ball around and you jump on a golf cart, go chase the ball some more, and you know. <laughs> I was never very interested in sports. And then, you know, when I got together with my current partner, I was like, okay, if you're going to be with me, it's going to be horror left, right, and center. It's going to, we're going to eat, sleep, and breathe horror. It's going to be like, we live in the room work manner. So it's all over the walls. It's, you know, it's all horror all the time. So, you know, I, I told him to pick like, what's something you love, something that really interests you that I could get into and enjoy with you. And so um, he's really into UFC. He's really okay, into well, uh, fight sports. And, I'm sorry. I said that's definitely acceptable over uh, baseball, football and all those shit. So MMA is definitely cool. It's I'm not bad. It. It's, it's, yeah. it's pretty bro is the only mm-hmm. thing, right? I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get into it when it's so, you know, like Joe Rogan is like a lot. But when I got yeah. into it was when uh, when Ronda Rousey was, when she was just coming up, when they were just mm-hmm. starting to let girls fight in the UFC after after Dana White for so many years said that it would never, ever happen. So that was kind of an exciting time to get into UFC. And 
I think we watched this little documentary about it. And what really solidified it for me was Joe Rogan was saying that, um, you know, the UFC incorporates all different kinds of martial arts. And it's kind of like the old horror movies, the old universal horror movies where, you know, you'd have Wolfman versus the mummy. And like, you could Mm -hmm. look at MMA like that. And after he said that, I was like, oh, I think I get it. I could get into this. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. That's for sure. I think that was one of the only like sport type things I did watch back in the day was the UFC. But I don't know. I, I just there's other things I want to watch besides that. So I don't make it like a number one priority. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's 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 gotten different. It's changed quite a bit. And Dustin and I were talking about that recently, about how, you know, ever since Conor McGregor changed the game, uh, Khabib, Nurmagomedov, um, all the legal antics that they got up to uh, to promote their fight. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of a circus now, isn't it? Yeah, definitely is. It's more of a, a ratings thing, too. Like, they take on the role of, like, evil villain or you got the hero. Mm-hmm. WWE type shit. Yeah, and if I wanted to watch that, it's, it's right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I used to watch when I was a kid was, was uh, wrestling and all that stuff. But, uh, Did I you? Yeah, I was a big wrestling fan when I was a kid. Like, man, my um, friend's mom would take us all to live events and pay for everything. And it's like ringside seats and all this shit and I used to be big time and uh up to about 15 15 or 16 like all right i'm good <laughs> i i watched i followed it until it got to the um uh the degeneration x era when it was like super obnoxious and all the guys at school were just like suck it suck uh, it suck <laughs> it all the time and i was like uh wrestling sucks now yeah, I remember those days. I was uh, big in my high school. Well, that shit. I was like middle school into high school. People were doing that shit. So. Oh, my God. But I remember like good old, um, you know, the Bushwhackers and Undertaker. And I don't know. Sometimes Dustin and I sing the HBK song just for shits. <laughs> That's awesome. That was the good days of wrestling back then. You had the Bushwhackers. I got to see them live, too. Like they're part of one of the lineups I had down here. Oh, no way. Yeah, it was like Bushwhackers, and it was like a one, two, three kid before he was X Punk and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. cool shit. Nice. <laughs> what um, I already asked you what some of your favorite of this year are, uh, movie wise. Like, what's some of your like favorites of all time? You can just mention a couple. You don't have to go like crazy or whatever. Because I know myself, I have a ton of favorite films. So, my all time favorite horror movies. Yeah, like this, you know, in the ballpark, you don't have to be, you know, because that's a hard thing to do. It is. And I feel like I've, uh, there was a while that I was asked that so much that I had kind of like a formulaic, like I had an answer ready. And then, and then my opinion started changing and my tastes started changing. You know, I think The Shining is always, always going to be somewhere in my top three. Uh, I think the thing is always going to be somewhere in my top top three. Cause I guess, I guess the older you get, you keep reassessing your favorites based kind of on how well they aged. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's so many movies that didn't age well, either due to the special effects or even due to the content, due to some of the messaging. And you're just like, Oh, I can't really stand by this anymore. Like, you know, I still like Rosemary's baby, but I can't, 
I don't know, it doesn't sit the same with me as it did 10 years ago, let's say. Uh, But yeah, definitely, I'd say The Shining, The Thing, uh, Night of the Living Dead is a perennial classic. I'm always down to watch that. Yeah, I think those would maybe be my top three. Okay, those are solid. I mean, that's the thing is definitely up there for me. And um, it used to be The Exorcist is my number one, and it still is close to being my number one. But uh-huh. I said, you got an American World in London, which is right there with it. And fucking uh, Mandy as of late. Like, I've been obsessed with Mandy since I first oh, saw it. Yeah. Fucking love Mandy. And, uh, and it's hard for anything to keep up with that. Like, all the newer films that I've watched, like, if I keep like Mandy as being like the top of the hill, like everything else is falls so short. So I'm trying to get better with that, mm. you know? <laughs> Interesting. Mandy's a very, um, it's a very unique uh, style and aesthetic. Yeah. If, if, if that becomes the benchmark of the movies you like, you're definitely going to be looking hard <laughs> yeah, for more yeah. stuff, but he's made other movies, right? Panos Cosmatos. Yeah, he did one before that, which was uh, oh. hold on a second, that's right, my, it's uh, black uh, beyond the black rainbow. That was one he oh, did. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and did you like that one as much? Yeah, um, I do, but not as much as Mandy. Like it was okay. really awesome when it came out, but I don't know. Mandy is like um, it's like doom metal in a movie. You know, it's like the perfect representation of doom in a movie totally. to me. Mm-hmm. And that appeals to me so much, you know. Uh, in the magazine, we've got this section where I put um, uh, cool horror collectibles that I, I found advertised online. And Mondo is doing this Mandy jigsaw puzzle. Have you seen it? I have not seen that, no. So it's of the Cheddar Goblin. And on one side, it's the Cheddar Goblin like spewing mac and cheese or whatever all over those kids. And then on the flip side, on the it's a double-sided jigsaw puzzle. On the flip side, it's just mac and cheese, like a super close-up uh, <laughs> grid of macaroni and cheese, which looks like such a difficult puzzle. But I thought that was a really fun collectible for that particular film. Yeah, that does sound really cool. I have to look into that. I have so much Mandy shit right now. I have like a rare VHSs and really rare VHS. I got into VHS collecting um, a few years ago, maybe when uh, you ever heard of Brooke Horror fan, uh, Witter and Entertainment. Have you heard of any mm-hmm. of that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they got me hooked on that shit again when it comes to VHSs because they started putting out these like rare releases and limited to fifty and stuff, and I fall right into it. And they had this like awesome Mandy edition that came out. I think it was last year, and I had. Um, work my ass off to try to get it because there's so many people at the same time. Things. I did get it though. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a friend who's really into collecting VHS. I think the trickiest part is that it's like, it's such an inconvenient format to, um, to collect. You know what I mean? It's not very compact. It's not like a Blu-ray is so skinny and you can fit a ton of them in your shelf. So she's just right. got, well, you probably, you've probably seen uh, Yasmina. Yes. Have you listened to her podcast? Yeah, you're talking about uh, Witchfinger, right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Those girls are so much fun. I miss them terribly. Yeah, I've been waiting for another episode. I'm not sure what's going on that side, but I know with all the craziness going on, I'm sure it's affecting everything. Yeah, I guess they're in the same boat as uh, as me in terms of, like, they're in London, which is, you know, maybe three hours away from Toronto, but it's still Ontario, so I guess they're mm-hmm. in the same boat for that. Yeah, they're part of my like big podcast. 
podcast group that I listen to. It's like Faculty of Horror. I got Witchfinger, uh, Postmortem with uh, Mick Garris. Mm-hmm. Uh, few other ones um what's uh colors of the dark podcast now which used to be uh, shockwaves but you know that changed so mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. big ones i listen to and try to pay attention to the most because there's so many good podcasts out there you know i can't listen to all of them or i would but you know there's so many and i feel like every time i look there's 10 more it's crazy um alex and i were kind of uh we had a meeting where we were talking about our, our year in the podcast you know there's stuff that we do annually we usually go to salem and do a live show and stuff like that but uh, mm-hmm. obviously we're not going to be doing that but we're going to be doing our 100th episode this fall nice which is wild that's crazy and i've been with yeah. you the one I believe. So I, I think so them. too. I was gonna. I wasn't gonna ask in case you weren't sure, but you've you've been supporting us since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were was, an early adopter of this new technology. I was. I wish I was podcasting back then, because all oh, this is super new to me. This is like my seventh podcast right now. Because um, before this, I was doing like band stuff. All I did was band stuff. I would tour, record, promote, repeat. You know what I mean? I had no time to do anything else. So right. now I'm venturing out into open waters here with the podcasting stuff. And, you know, you know, we're a big influence on that, you know. Well, you know, on the one hand, it seems like I, I always hear people say that the market is so saturated and that it's like it's not a good time to start a podcast because there's so many podcasts out there. But I think there's also a lot of resources out there to, for podcasters that weren't mm-hmm. around when Alex and I got started. You know, Audacity was out there, but I remember like really struggling to find to figure out what the fuck an RSS feed was, oh, how yeah. to get it working. You know, like there weren't all these uh applications now where you just sign up enter your credit card and they do all the hard stuff for you mm-hmm. so and i think it's a great time yeah yeah i'm using buzz sprout i believe it's called and they do all the like, okay we did, and i'm like because i didn't know how to do none of that i'm like what do i do how do i get it out there you know and i'm mm-hmm. up we're getting some ideas of you know what to use and that one came up a bunch i'm like okay i'll go with that for sure. And I think also for a really long time, people didn't know what podcasts were. People didn't know how to access them. And so your target demographic was only as big as like the podcast savvy um, population <laughs> was, which wasn't very big when we started. But now everybody listens to podcasts and Spotify has made it so easy. Um, is your show on Spotify? Yes, I'm on Spotify, Apple um, I think Amazon's got one, uh, Pandora, pretty much anywhere there's like a platform for it, I have my podcast on it. And that's thanks oh, to nice. uh, using they get everything, everything for me. I just got to like throw entry in and they accept it and it goes from there. Wicked. I don't even know Pandora. That's um, that's kind of like a streaming audio service. Yeah, it was pretty big uh, like five or 10 years ago. Then Spotify killed <laughs> it. You know? Oh, it was the pre-Spotify Spotify. I see. Yeah, they're fighting head to head. Like when Spotify first came out and Pandora, I think Pandora's up before them because I had Pandora back in the day. And then Spotify just ended up killing them pretty much. But Pandora's still going on as from what I hear. So. Okay. Yeah. But with uh, Spotify, I get most of my downloads off of there. And Apple, like those two are the big ones. Mm-hmm. But I'm surprised people listen to me over in uh, New Zealand now. I'm like, holy shit, that's cool. 
In that Japan. is cool. In Japan, really? <laughs> yeah, I got like six downloads over the past like a couple of weeks from Japan, and it like it tells you what city and everything. So you can narrow it down pretty good. It even tell you what device these people are using to download your stuff from. Well, where are you getting that information? That's on a uh, Buzzsprout. Once you go on there, oh. um, section that says like uh, analytics or whatever, you just click on that, and it shows you like what region, like what country, and all this stuff. Gotcha. Because I remember the early days of Faculty of Horror, it was um, it was really difficult to get any statistical information about your uh, about your show because most people listen through iTunes and iTunes would not release that information. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember when we were trying to grow and when we were considering looking for advertisers and considering, you know, courting guests and stuff, you need to have stats. You need to kind of prove that your show is worthy. And we weren't able to. So I kind of stopped. I kind of gave up. Like we keep monitoring reviews because mm -hmm. that can be um, sometimes really flattering and moving and sometimes really insulting and funny. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, for the most part, I feel like we get our biggest read on our listenership when we go to Salem to do our annual live show. And, you know, we had somebody turn up from Australia to that show. Whoa. I came to see you and we were like, God, that's the other side of the planet. That was that's super cool. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's well-deserved too. I mean, you'll do a great job and really break shit down. Like it's, it's awesome. It's a good learning experience. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, I can't believe it's, it's been almost nine years. It just went by. It just, it, it feels like hanging out with Alex, you know, like at, at a certain point when you've done it so much, it's, it doesn't feel like work anymore. It's just, you know, Friday night with my girl. <laughs> yeah. Nine years flies by. That's for sure. I, I can't yes, indeed. Nuts. Um, yeah, I'm about to turn 36 this year, so I'm feeling a little bit of the age thing going on. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was just 20 the other day, you know. I was like, oh, <laughs> you can stay 20 in your heart. Yeah, that's what I feel. I mean, I don't feel <laughs> like when I was younger, I would think 36. Oh, man, you're like, you know, that's super old. But now that I am 36, I don't think it. I'm like, it's, it's pretty young to me. Yeah. So. What's um what's a normal day like like doing the room work stuff like what's a normal day for you? Uh well let's see um first thing I'll do is go through my inbox which will be maybe ninety percent press releases and PR releases um different film studios letting me know that stuff is coming out. And that is just kind of an air traffic control game because like I mentioned before, I'm working on the July, August edition of the magazine now. So if I get a press release uh, and it says that this movie is coming out today or this album is coming out next week, or even this is coming out in early May, that timing doesn't work out for the magazine. So I have to kind of filter and funnel all these press releases to the appropriate parties uh, if the story is going to run online or in the magazine or whoever it should be directed to. Uh, so that's a big part of my day. And then, you know, I'll receive a lot of pitches uh, in my inbox and pitching. It's I, I think sometimes people underestimate what an art form it is. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because in pitching, you're not only saying, um, 
I want to write about this and I have access to this story and I can do it in X number of words, you kind of have to convince me. You kind of have to seduce me. You kind of have to make me as excited about this topic as you might be about the topic. And, you know, you can't just expect the strength of the topic to be self-evident. Like, of course, if you were to come to me and say, hey, I've got an interview with Stephen King. Do you want it? I'm going to be like, oh, shit, Stephen Uh fucking King. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, if you're going to come to me and say, hey, um, you know, The Exorcist is turning 50 this year, and I really think it warrants a discussion about this in a way that it's never been talked about before, you know, you have to kind of um, you have to kind of get my you have to catch my interest. And so I think. Um, People underestimate the element of seduction that has to go in pitching. So a lot of the times, you know, I get pitches and people will pitch me on stuff that like, you know, I grew up with this movie. This means a lot to me and I'd like to write about it. And that's great, but it's not really appropriate for the magazine. It's not really the kind of writing that we do. And Mm -hmm. so I do try to take the time with these writers. I don't want to discourage anybody. I don't want to like shit on anybody's dreams, but I always kind of try to take the time to explain to them what it is I'm looking for and, um, and yeah, how to get them involved in the magazine. If it's, if it's writing reviews or writing for the site, um, it's kind of mentorship and it's a big part of my day. And I think, I think it's really important for someone in my role to do, um, cause horror is a community. It's a passion project. I'm not running the New York times. I'm running room org magazine, you know? Right. Um, and then I guess the rest of my day will be, uh, finding stories, assigning stories, um, getting copy in and editing. I think it's almost deceiving in that my title is executive editor, but editing is something that I actually get to do very little of because there's mm-hmm. so much other uh, administrative work and stuff to do. It is my favorite part of the job. So I save it for the end of the day. <laughs> uh, I hate editing like on my website and that's at a small, small quantity of stuff I write. Like I still fucking hate editing. I hate it. <laughs> How do you like editing your podcast? Um, It's not bad because I'm getting to hang audacity right now and audacity uh-huh user-friendly and i don't do a shitload of editing i editing on it i just take out you know save this like how we're losing connection there i take that piece off or that piece off right there then i throw Mm -hmm. my intro which i just came up with which is a cool little synth piece i wrote and then you know pop it all together and go with the that part's not bad at all it's just like when i'm editing my website like when i I gotta do text and all that stuff i hate that shit yeah Oh, man. I remember editing the Faculty of Horror used to take me hours and hours because I was putting all those clips in and stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, it it was many years before I was willing to kind of trust the editing process to an external editor. You know, like now I love it. I don't miss editing at all. But at the same time, you kind of relinquish some of that creative control. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's probably how people feel when their kids go off to college or something. Right, yeah, you're letting your your passion like in somebody else's hands there for a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do everything DIY as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Now starting out with it, and I want to try to learn everything you know that needs to be learned and stuff, and that's you know that's why I'm doing it the way I am now. Nice. Yeah, I'm trying to take a heavy metal approach to it as well, just like you know, like heavy metal, like a punk approach to it. I guess you would call it just you know. That's how I'm looking at it. <laughs> yeah, not too polished, just keeping it real. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of like the big polished, awesome podcasts out there doing their thing. That's cool and everything. I just want to kind of make this my own 
you know, just go right at it. I gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, that's one. Uh, I'm getting pretty good with Audacity, like I was saying. I don't mind that editing part. It's not too bad. But that's good. I bet you get a ton of screeners your way, correct? You know, I used to get so much in the mail. I used mm. to get envelopes in the mail every single day, and the Room Org Manor has this humongous DVD library, and the Blu-ray library is growing. And now it's just these online screeners. And, um, you know, I don't have time to watch everything. So, again, part of that air traffic control aspect of my job is, you know, just assigning it, spreading it around, be like, hey, can you check this out? If it's any good, let me know, because maybe we could do a feature or something. But, yeah, they're all screeners that just, uh, you know, live online for maybe a week or two. And, uh, and then I don't get to add it to my collection. So, I don't get to see nearly as many movies as I think maybe people assume I get to see as editor. Right. There's so much stuff out there, too. A lot of good content, but there's so much of it. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of garbage, too. There's a lot of. Um, um, I, I, I don't want to say this on the heels of saying that there's a lot of garbage, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of shorts. There's a lot of amazing, amazing shorts. And I find short filmmakers are very, you know, they're ambitious and like the. the primary function of, of, of horror shorts is to kind of be a calling card and hopefully uh, develop your filmmaking career toward uh, toward getting into features. Um, but it's really tricky as much as I want to support young filmmakers uh, and indie horror. It's um, it's tricky to cover shorts in Rumorg because they're not always very easy to find. Uh, and indeed, even with the festival circuit, I don't really want to cover stuff in Rumorg unless it has a wide release because I want our readers to be able to find what it is we're talking about. Um, so, you know, I've got a lot of really great uh, bloggers who cover shorts uh, on the site and we try to support them as much as we can. But it's just impossible to see everything. Right. Yeah, I did um, a virtual festival. It was a horror hound virtual festival. So I was like, well, I'm off for like three days. Let's do one of these festival things. So I did that. Uh-huh. It was so many damn shorts. And the thing with that, you can't you can't pause anything. Like if you got to use the bathroom or whatever, you come back, you're a Mr. Short. You can't go back and rewatch it. So I'm like, <laughs> and that sucks, you know? Yep. I think I juried for um, I juried for a, a film fest one year and I I left it way too late. I was like, oh, I'll just get out of production. I've got plenty of time to watch all these films. And then when I sat down to do it uh, and I did the math, I had to watch like uh, like four movies a day for five days straight or something. And I was like, oh, my God, like I can never do this again, because <laughs> at a certain point, you're not doing the movies justice. Right. Like you can't really assess what it is you're looking at when you're exhausted. You've been watching uh, movies all day. Oh, it's a tough gig. And that's a goal of mine is trying to make some uh, movie festivals when things open back up. You know, I've never done that before just because I've been doing band stuff for so long. So that's a goal of mine. But I know that's going to be work as well. Like you said, you got so many movies to watch in one day or two days or however long it lasts, you know. Yeah, just don't just don't leave it to the last minute. Learn from my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you've um, I want to do the um, was the Overlook one to have there. The Overlook Film Festival. Is that the name of it? I believe. Uh, that is the name of it. I don't think it's at the Overlook Hotel anymore, though. Oh, no, that sucks. 
Last I heard, they had to move it, but I feel like that was many years ago. We did a feature on uh, on the Overlook Hotel. Basically, a writer went and they kind of did this write up, and I could have sworn that they said that, but uh, but I could be wrong. However, I got to go. Um, you know, before the lockdown, 2019 was a big travel year for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I went to a lot of places for the first time, and among them was the uh, the the Stanley Hotel, and um, I got to see the premiere of um the shining sequel uh doctor oh, sleep yeah yeah i remember seeing your post about that mm-hmm. oh man that was the coolest coolest trip i had such a blast and i remember thinking i could get used to this and <laughs> surprise <laughs> it's all over hopefully i'll be able to get back to it soon did anything uh paranormal happen to you while you're at the hotel uh Actually, it did. Uh, the hotel is quite old and uh, it, it's quite small. I think when most people think of um, any hotel and indeed the hotel from The Shining, like the, the exterior that you see um, isn't the Stanley Hotel. Like that's where Stephen King wrote it, but it's not where they shot the film. So you have to get kind of that mental image out of your head first and foremost. Um, but I remember being there and um, I was watching TV and all of a sudden, I wasn't really able to control the TV anymore. And I was thinking, oh, shit, I think the, the battery in the remote is dead or whatever. And so uh, so I turned it off manually. I, I got up and I hit the power button to turn it off. And then I went into the bathroom and um, all of a sudden, not only did the TV just come on, but the volume was full blast and it scared the living snot out of me. I jumped out of my skin and I think I uh, I just got on Instagram right away because Instagram Instagram's weird like that is it kind of feels like uh, kind of feels like a friend kind of feels like a lifeline if you talk to your following enough and I was just kind of like you guys it's just happened I'm scared um, but that's about it I mean oh. nothing really threatening fortunately. Well, that's a good thing. I mean, maybe it was like a, a Beetlejuice type character then, you know, messing with you. Yeah, just trying to fuck with me. Just yeah, to, you wanted to exercise the living out of there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That's one of the festivals I want to hit, though, whenever things do open back up. That one there and I think uh, Fantasia Fest. I've heard that one's really cool, too. Fantasia is wonderful. That's uh, in Montreal, which isn't too, too far Um for me, relatively speaking, I'm also very close to TIFF, but, um, you know, TIFF can be very kind of corporate uh-huh. by comparison, whereas Fantasia is the kind of thing where, you know, whoever the guests of honor are, you're going to be partying with them. You're going to be hanging out with them. It has a very kind of open, inviting atmosphere that's uh, that's really nice. So, yeah, for sure. I'd recommend Fantasia to anybody. Okay, cool. So I got your your sign of approval on that one as well, because I think the other person who told me about it was Adam Egypt Mortimer when I interviewed him, and he said that's oh, nice. Right. Yeah, he's a really cool guy, by the way. He's you know, it was a great interview. Oh, nice. Yeah, he seems like a nice guy, and uh, seems like he's going places too, right? Yeah, he's doing good. He's got some shit in the work right now. Like he's working on like uh, he said another movie and some other stuff he can't really talk about too much, but he's mm-hmm. doing. He also liked my band, which was crazy. Like, I ended up sending him some vinyls. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
Yeah, he, he looked me up and everything. Like I was like, "Hey, you want to do interviews?" Like, sure and stuff. And um, and he said, "Hey, uh, your band's awesome." I said, "Oh shit, you looked me up. That's that's pretty cool." <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's mega cool. Yeah, and he told me he was a big metalhead and stuff. He was naming off some bands and people he hung out with. I'm like, "Yeah, I know them. Yeah, I know them too." I'm like, "That's what a small world, you know." Ah, oh, that's awesome. Well, you know, horror is like, I don't know. Feels like family. I find um, horror fans, uh, there's a lot of variety, but there's a lot of crossover, too. Yeah, I've been noticing that. I've been doing a lot of, like, promotion on Twitter and, you know, Instagram, of course, and stuff. And I built up a small following on Twitter with different people that I, can't, you know, stay in contact with and stuff. But it seems like a, a, a kind of tight-knit community, you know? Mm-hmm. Birds of a feather. It's cool. Mm-hmm. I've also seen some crazy people on Twitter, too, like with the horror community stuff. So you got to watch out for that. I'm like, yeah, got some weird messages before and weird followings, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And then the whole like, uh, you heard about the whole Richard Stanley stuff, didn't you? Oh, my God. Yeah, that was um, that was a shock. And, you know, the way the way the companies handled it, I thought was really great. And, um, you know, I thought Richard's response to it was kind of shockingly poor. And (laughs) yeah, that was just a really disappointing time. He was one of the most celebrated filmmakers of the past couple of years. Everybody was so excited for his big comeback with uh, The Color Out of Space. Right. He has like uh, there's three films he had planned in the um, H.P. Lovecraft universe and everything. And I was crushed when I heard the news about him being a piece of shit like that. I'm like, what? You got to be kidding me. Like, that was my first like interview ever because he, I didn't he didn't want to do like a written interview. He wanted to do a Skype. And I was like, shit myself. I'm like, OK, <laughs> Richard Stanley here, you know, so and, um, you know, I had my talk with him and all this crap happened. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it's. It's rough. You're glad that the monsters are being outed, but it's also pretty, uh, pretty heartbreaking. It is. It's a bit crushing. <laughs> I'm like, man. And I went and took down all my stuff with him. Like, I can't support none of that. I'm sorry. It's horrible. So yeah. then I had people following me on a uh, Facebook, finding my old posts. I haven't had time to take down yet with Richard Stanley and like, you know, cussing me. Out. I'm like, dude, I haven't even seen this shit. I got to. I didn't know it was up there. I got to take it down. You know, give me some time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Damn. Like the morality I'm police it's uh, you gotta act quick or they'll come for you that's for sure i know and i was like the same day it happened i was taking shit down and they were getting me the same day it was still up i'm like i didn't even see that damn post like chill yeah. out i'll take it down it's cool i got this <laughs> it's tricky i mean like on the one hand at, at least you're kind of able to do that you know i i put uh, the color out of space was the cover story of the jan feb 2019 issue i think and um you know richard stanley was one of the interviewees of my witch special edition which is like one of my favorite issues i've done and you kind of can't go back to a print issue and edit him out of it you can't take that down you have to kind of stand by it and i I feel like that's true of podcasting too Uh, sometimes i say things that i regret and people call you out but you can't take down the episode you just have to live with it and when new listeners come and discover that error again and again and again and tell you that you fucked up again and again and again you just have to take it right that's definitely good advice for going forward you know with everything because i'm so new with this stuff like 
you know, shit's going to happen. I'm going to say the wrong thing or, you know, I'm going to get some of my information wrong. You know, shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to fuck up. And the only way to come out of it positively is to say, you know, mea culpa. I fucked up and I learned from it and I'll uh, do better. Mm -hmm. I think people are a lot more willing to hear that than people realize, you know. Yeah, I agree with that. I think they are more willing to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah, it like humanizes you. It's um, it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. Mm -hmm. Like it's a lot easier when I'm writing because, you know, I can go back and edit this stuff or whatever. But man, when you're speaking, that's a whole different ballpark there, you know. Yes, indeed. Oh, my God. Especially if you're in a public forum where there's drinking involved. I remember I was hired to present a screening of Midsommar and... Mm -hmm. I had already seen it and this was like a week later and I had so much work to do. I didn't have time to watch it again. So I introduced the film and then, you know, the company that hired me said uh, uh, it was about supper time or whatever. So they were like, take the company credit card and go to the bar and you can order yourself something to eat uh, while, while the movie plays. And then you can come back. And, and then I did a Q&A with uh, Ari Aster and one of, one of the stars, the guy who plays Christian. Okay, yeah. And a couple of margaritas on an empty stomach. You'd be surprised. And uh, yeah, by the time the movie was over, I was a couple of sheets to the wind. And Ari Aster showed up and he was like, hey. And I was like, hey. And I had a lot of pep going on for a movie that's not very peppy. And I think the audience was kind of like, what is with this chick? She's way too excited about this film. <laughs> That's still an awesome story, though, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, sometimes it's worth fucking up just for the story. Yeah, I agree. And I'm sure that's going to happen in my, uh, like I said, my podcast days coming up, because I want to keep this going as far as I can take it, you know, so. And um, I consider, like, speaking my weak point, like, I'm I'm pretty good at writing, I think, you know, I can think things out ahead of time, but when it comes to speaking... That's a whole different ball game for me. <laughs> totally. And I think, I don't know if you kind of fell into this trap when you when you started, but as a writer, I would try to kind of like write out everything I wanted to say. And then I would edit the sentence and be like, oh, this sounds better. This sounds smarter. This sounds like this. This sounds like that. And when it comes to faculty of horror, you know, if you do that, it comes off too scripted. It's not it's not actually good for the show. So. Um, you're right. It's a different skill set, but I think um, it's really worthwhile to to have both those tools in your arsenal. You know. Mhm. Mm yeah, you know, I was able to like scream on stage, all that kind of stuff, and but like doing these podcasts have really challenged me, like in my uh, how I speak and you know how I do this, how I do that. It's it's definitely a challenge, you know. Yeah, especially if you're interviewing somebody and you have to kind of. You have to hope that you have some rapport or some chemistry, you know. Uh, have you had a a really difficult interview yet? Uh, luckily, no. Everything's been pretty smooth so far. Really? Okay. But the Richard Stanley one was a little weird, like, at first, because it's Richard Stanley. Like, when I was dealing with him, he's, he's, a, he's a bit odd, of course, and uh, mm -hmm. it, it kind of shone through a little bit on the interview. But it he wasn't. likes to talk, though. It's... Uh, there's, there's no shortage of stuff to say. Oh, no, not at all. It was like um, <laughs> say a couple of things. He says like 5,000 things, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I remember I asked advice from you about that. He said, just let him talk. And that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, um, Gary Sherman's like that. Um, he and I, we actually met at Fantasia and we hung out the entire weekend and we got to be good friends. And now he uh, he calls me up whenever he's in town and, and we visit, um, which obviously hasn't been for a while. But um, but yeah, I interviewed him for the cover story of Rue Morgue. Um, the most recent issue we did, it was uh, celebrating a re-release of Dead and Buried. Yep, and right there, yep. he's just the kind of filmmaker that you wind him up and let him go. And, um, you know, the easiest interview, it's, it's not easy to transcribe because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to be there all day. But that's a lot better than uh, than having to really tease out information. Yeah, I agree with that. That would be a hell of a job to sit there and try to squeeze some money for like, hey, how about this? Well, what about this? You know. And, you know, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes filmmakers are just, uh, you know, they're artists, which I think people tend to forget. And the publicity aspect is something that, you know, they're not necessarily trained for. They're not necessarily prepared for. I remember the first time I interviewed Ari Aster after Hereditary. uh, I spoke to him after the Sundance premiere or something like it was a very big night in his life. And I think he was kind of just like spun (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the interview was garbage and I was crushed because, you know, I loved the movie so much and I wanted to put it on the cover and all this stuff. And so I did a follow up interview via email and it all worked out and it was fine. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, filmmakers aren't born politicians and spokespeople and it's kind of hard to put that on them sometimes. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's the same with like dealing with musicians or whatever, like. They might be this way on stage, but off the stage, like totally different people. And, you know, yeah. Oh, I'm sure it's even more so with musicians. Oh, yeah. I got to be a um, guest on another podcast I like called the uh, Necromaniacs podcast with uh, Mike Hill. He's in a band called Tombs. Okay. Yeah, he, he asked for me to be a guest on his podcast, which blew my mind because that's one of my favorite bands. I mean, Yay. had their music at our wedding and stuff. I told him that and it like blew his mind on that one. And, um, he, we're going on about stuff and like, wow, I'm on a podcast with Mike Hill and I'm going to wow. have a podcast. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So like, that's weird how shit works out, like, works out like that, you know? That's awesome how shit works out like that. It's a <laughs> cool thing about the horror community is that, you know, you kind of reap the benefits of all the work that you put in. Your audience will find you because of the internet, and God bless the internet. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe I have people listening to me over in, like I said, Japan. Like, you're listening to me, and I mean, okay, cool, I like that. Keep doing it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Art. I think Faculty of Horror has a good audience in uh, Sweden. Oh, cool. We would love to go to Sweden. Yeah, Sweden would be badass. If any of my Swedish listeners are listening, uh, come up with a gig after COVID. We will come. We got some New Zealand listeners on this podcast, so that's another cool place. I mean, you know, similar climates and stuff, so. Sure. You can do the whole uh, Lord of the Rings trail over there, I believe. I would love that. Yeah. We're just looking for a reason to leave here anyways. Like, Canada looks good. Uh, New Zealand looks good. Uh, Sweden looks good, too. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Ontario's not looking the best right now. I've seen people on Twitter being like, any smugness that Ontarians might have had about Donald Trump or whatever the fuck is out the window now. Oh boy. Yeah. I think we're both kind of fucked then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think 
you're right. Yeah. I think it's time for all of us to migrate somewhere else. Yeah, just start over. Yeah. Rocket off to space and wreck another planet. Yeah, that's going to happen soon. We're supposed to try to get to Mars. Everybody wants to go to Mars, so I guess that's planet to destroy. But Yeah, well, I guess people haven't seen uh, Total Recall. Oh, yeah, they haven't seen that one yet, then. Fuck <laughs> 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 Mars, man. Who the hell wants to move to Mars anyways? Like, you can't live on Mars. Oh, don't you know what happens when you get the atmosphere? Your head's going to fucking blow up. That's right. <laughs> Dude, Arnold was right about that. I'm sure he's not down with that, you know. Um, my last question I wanted to ask you was um, all the years of doing Rube Morgan stuff, like what's one of the most memorable moments you ever had? Uh, one of my most memorable moments I ever had with the magazine. Let me think. Um, I remember interviewing William Friedkin. Uh, we did a special issue on Satan. It was like our, our satanic special issue for Halloween one year. And so I talked to him about, I mean, it was about, he, he had a new film called The Devil and Father Amorth, and he really wanted to talk about that, but I really wanted to talk about The Exorcist, and so I was being kind of sneaky and sneaking a lot of Exorcist questions in. And uh, he is notoriously salty. He's a salty guy. And uh, I forget what I asked him that uh, that made him mad, but he, like, raised his voice, and he kind of he kind of yelled at me. And, and I, I, I had one of those kind of surreal fangirl moments where I was like, the director of The Exorcist is yelling at me right now. This is wild. I actually won a rondo for that uh, for that interview, which is you know the second biggest honor next to getting yelled at by Billy fucking Friedkin. I, I think the, the biggest honor of my career thus far was uh, my cover story interview with Clive Barker. Oh, yeah. Love I'm a huge, huge Clive Barker fan. And what had happened was I was trying to get him to be the cover story for the uh, Halloween issue, which is a double issue. Um, mm-hmm. But he wasn't available. He wasn't his his assistant wasn't able to get him. He wasn't answering his emails. And so um, I, I had to do something else with the double issue. And then we got him for November, December. And it was the 40th anniversary, I think, of Hellraiser. And I was on the phone with him. And uh, he is he was so energetic and effervescent and just um, really, really sweet. And in the background, all I could hear was this like, ah, <laughs> ah. And I was like, Clive, I'm sorry, I have to ask, what the fuck is that happening in the background? And he's like, oh, it's my parakeet, Malago. And then oh. he starts talking to the parakeet. He's like, Malago, darling, it's fine. It's Andrea. It's Andrea at Rue Morgue. You can stop. But I'm telling you that this parakeet screamed. It sounded like a woman screaming. Wow. The perfect pet for the writer of the books of blood, I would say. Exactly. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> I wish I got to meet him. I wish I got to do that interview in person. But, um, you know, my career is still young. I've got a lot of stuff left to do, but I think it'll be tough to top being screamed at by Clive Barker's parakeet and William fucking Friedkin. (laughs) Yeah, you can't forget those. Holy crap. What was your biggest to date, would you say? Well, it was uh, the whole Richard Stanley thing, but, you know, that's what that is. But Now it's me. Huh? It, it is actually uh, you and Adam Egypt Mortimer have been my like biggest like podcast guests so far. Cool. And awesome. Yeah. 
I was really excited when you told me, yeah, I'll do your podcast. I was like, hell yeah, because, you know, I'm only like seven episodes in. I'm still really young with this. This is new to me. Hey, man, I've been there. I think I think anyone who has a podcast and knows how hard podcasters work and how important it is to, you know, uh, get unique and fresh content. Yeah, you've been supporting our show since the very beginning. I'm very happy to help. Say that one more time. I'm sorry. Phone messed up there. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm very happy to help uh, support your show and uh, and hang out. We've been chatting online for years. I know time flies. It's crazy when you think back, like how long it's been. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate it and stuff. And, you know, it's, hopefully I can keep this growing and get more cool guests in here. And, and uh, I was able to get a lot of decent guests on my uh, written reviews I was doing, which I don't know if I'm going to do the written review. I mean, the written interviews anymore, just because I think. It's better to hear them than read them, I guess, sometimes. But I might still do both. I don't know. But, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. Sometimes you can get what you can get, right? Like, I know there's definitely some international filmmakers where you have to get a written interview because they have to be translated and stuff. And then there's other filmmakers who are so busy that they really prefer a quick audio interview and... I don't know. Sometimes you can do both as well. You can um, you can transcribe it and you can save the best bits for audio and and publish the rest of the transcript on your site. Mm -hmm. It's cool that you can kind of repurpose content in so many different ways so that people can access it and however they want to. Right. I remember I tried to get up when I first started doing the website, which I think my website's going on two years now. I've had it for two years. I tried to get Bill Mosley. And I got in contact with Bill Mose. I got in contact with him. I said, well, I would love to do your your show with you or whatever, but you got to talk to my manager. So then um, I got another email back from the manager. We can't do do this right now, but we appreciate it. Try back next time. I'm like, damn it. Like, oh, so close. Yeah, I wonder what the criteria is. But um, but yeah, I mean, definitely try back next time. I've had people reach out to me um, to be a guest and they'll, they'll provide this really glossy one sheet that has all their stats all laid out in pretty pie charts and here's where most of our listeners are here's our max listeners here's our top reviews and like a really nice pro pr package and i was like holy shit like i've been doing faculty of horror for eight years we don't have a nice one sheet like that so yeah i guess it it depends on how you want to do it but um i don't know i don't tend to look that stuff up if you approach me nicely and politely and respectfully and I like you, I'll do your show. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. You know, you got to be nice yeah. and, stuff and just go with that and see what they say, you know, when it comes to like Bill Mosley's and stuff like that. Who knows? Maybe one day that'll work out. I get Bill Mosley. You never know. He's lovely <laughs> to talk to. He's uh, I got to I think I did two panels with him at conventions where we chatted about his Rob Zombie movies and Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. He's a lot of fun. He's really animated. Yeah, I've heard him on a few podcasts. I'm like, man, he'd be awesome to talk to. He's a metalhead as well, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, He's a musician as well. I didn't know that. What's he playing? I can't remember. But he had a band, and I, I remember asking them about it. You know who else has a band? Is Mick Garris. Oh, yeah, Mick Garris. Uh, what was it, Horse Feather, I believe? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I promoted his band for him a little bit to share some of his posts and stuff. And I think he thanked me for it. I was like, that's oh, cool. wicked. He seems awesome. That's another person I would love to meet is Mick Garris. Like, he seems like a real, like, awesome dude. 
He's a sweetheart. And I think, you know, he had a background in movie journalism before he became a filmmaker. And I feel like that that sensibility has really like softened him toward media. And he realizes the importance of media and the community. And um, yeah, he's just really special. Yeah, he uh, friended me on Facebook. I sent him a request. Like, yeah, he had never friended me on this. Mick Garris, he's huge and stuff. And he friended me back because I just want to tell him, you know, how much Nightmare Cinema kicked ass and stuff. I'm like, thank you for doing all this and that. And yeah, he said, well, you're welcome. I was like, I'm, you know, proud to do all this. I'm like, holy shit, he got me back. And that's cool. Oh, well, that's <laughs> funny. Uh, I took a trip to L.A. I think it was like three summers ago with a friend. And uh, Rodrigo, the publisher of Remorgue, was like, you should call up Mick Garris. Like, you should have lunch with him. And I was like, what? Like, I've never met the guy. He's Mick fucking Garris. He's not going to know who I am. And he's like, oh, yeah. He goes way back with Remorg. Like, just try. Just set it up. And so I fired him an email. And he was like, sure, what time? And so we had a very nice uh, vegan lunch. And <laughs> as soon as I got there and I sat down, and he's unmistakable, right, with his, like, long white hair. Right. And he, he says to me, he's like, uh, so Rue Morgue didn't like Nightmare Cinema very much. And I was like, what? And apparently we'd given it uh, we'd given it a negative review online and I had no idea. And I was so embarrassed. Oh, oh. I was like, am I walking into a trap? But he was lovely. We're great friends. That's cool. It just seems like an easygoing, nice dude. I, like I follow his podcast by heart and I like all the shit he's done, you know. And yeah. I mean, he did- Stan still holds up his version. The Stan still kicks the TV's version's ass, in my opinion. But I haven't seen the new one yet. It's, uh, we're watching The Sopranos. It's my second time, my partner's first time. But as soon as we're done that, we're tackling The Stan. Yeah, The Stan starts off really strong, especially like the first episode or two. Then it kind of like uh-huh. goes somewhere weird and kind of comes back towards the end. Like, oh, this ain't that bad, actually. So I would give it like maybe a seven and a half out of ten is what I rated Not it. Bad. Not bad. And I like what's his face as a uh, Randall Flag. Um, can't remember his name right now. The Scars Guard, one of the Scars. Mm-hmm. He's a good Randall Flag. I give him that. Like, it, it gets pretty. Uh, it gets pretty nasty towards the end. Like, okay, this is working out pretty good. And it ends. Like, ten, ten episodes done. Okay. Well, it sounds like it's worth checking out. I'll do that. Yeah, and there's supposed to be another episode, unless it's going to be a season two, which would be weird, but. Um, Stephen King was on a podcast talking about he wrote this extra chapter to kind of resolve the stand towards the end that wasn't in the book and it was going to be in the show. So I don't know if that's still on or not, but I wanted to see what the hell happens after that, you know? Yeah, that's interesting, especially as we're kind of in a post-plague situation now. Yeah, no shit. Like, it's like Stephen King wrote all this stuff. Yep. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. (laughs) Burn the witch. Yeah, maybe we really are living in, um, the Dark Tower series, because, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> it could all be Dark Tower, The Stand. They should make a Talisman movie. Oh, that would be... That, I heard they're supposed to be doing something like that. It's going to be a TV show, I think, because that book's mm-hmm. so damn big. But I love yeah. it. I read I that when I was a kid. Me too. It was the most kid-friendly. I think it's because like, it had a kid protagonist, and it had so many fantasy elements. Yeah, that, that all the it, it, um, I thought it was hard for me to figure out the name of that movie for years, and then it came to me like if um like doing some Google research, and I'm like, oh, it's a talisman. I was like, I thought Clyde Barker wrote this, and I thought this other guy wrote this. I'm like, oh shit. Uh, it happens. So much stuff to keep straight. 
Yeah, for when it comes to like film and stuff, I use the Internet Movie Database app for I can keep shit on there, like rated and stuff. That way I know what the hell I watch because I watch so many movies and stuff. I got to keep track of it some way, you know. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. I used to have Letterboxd, but I, I kind of let it lapse. And now I feel like the magazine is just kind of my my diary of the horror that I consume. Right. Yeah, I have Letterboxd, too, but I don't use it. Everybody was big on Letterboxd for a while, and then I started using the stuff. I'm like, it's too much shit on here. I just want to just rate something. I don't want to write a review on this. I just want to rate it and go, you know. I write reviews on my website, not on this. Mm-hmm. So. Well, it's been really, really awesome talking to you. I'm really happy you talked with me. It's been awesome. Oh, thanks so much, Brandon. It was, uh, I really enjoyed it as well. It's been so great to finally, quote unquote, meet you after so many years. I know, and Hopefully right? when everything lifts, we can we can meet in person. We can uh, clack a beer at Fantasia. That'd be great. Yeah, that's a goal of mine is to get to Fantasia Fest. So it'd be cool we all meet up over there. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so let's uh, get this COVID shit over with and, uh, yeah, get on in real life again, you know. So that'll be awesome. Um, hope you take care of your way and stuff and, uh, you know, stay away from the plague as best you can. You too, Brandon. <laughs> it was great talking to you. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye.